Hello, and welcome to ID Podcast with your host, Roger. We're bringing the best discussions and conversations to you about identity verification, AML practices, and much more. Thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome to the next episode of ID Podcast, uh, actually episode number seven. I'm here today with Lee Darcy from Cyphers. Welcome, Lee, to the podcast. Pleased to meet you. So, um, yeah, today we're going to uh, talk all things about Cyphers, about how fraud is developing in the UK, um, I would say, in general. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, today I've just been uh, basically, how can I introduce Cyphers? So what I did, uh, very original, I looked uh, at Wikipedia. So... Um, I'm just going to read it to you, and you can maybe. Obviously I didn't even know we were on Wikipedia. That's great. <laughs> well, there oh, you tell go. Me, tell yes. me what's there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's on there. So uh, you've been founded in 1988 with the he- headquarters in London. Um, Cyphers is a fraud prevention service in the United Kingdom. It is not. It, it is a not-for-profit membership association representing organisations from across the public, private, and voluntary sectors. In 2016, Cyphers had over th- um, 360 members. And now I would say you are close to 500. Um, 525, right. I think. Ah, there you go. So yeah. uh, even more than that. So 2017 was 400. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there you go. I mean, um, I'm essentially with uh, what I want to throw in right away, and we can obviously you know, discuss about what Cypher's actually doing um, yeah. about that. But what I've seen and is very, very interesting. So um, Cypher's um, essentially prevented losses in terms of frauds um, worth um, 200 million pounds in 2000, whilst um, two years ago it was 1.4 billion pounds. So, uh, I mean, we all know uh, everything's going digital, everyone's getting more, uh, you know, sophisticated about how they're doing uh, their fraud or how they're going about uh, um, essentially, uh, you know, befrauding someone. So, um, I mean, what is it exactly that uh, you are currently doing? And uh, if you could maybe expand on that. Yeah, no problems. I mean, the community, and that's what we'll call it, a community, um, come together. So the members become the community, Mm -hmm. sharing data and intelligence around any fraudulent activity which might help them then prevent that activity from happening again. So in effect, we're able to share real-time personal data. So this person did this thing at this time and there's factual evidence to back that up. Uh, But equally, we talk about on our portal now that we launched last year, we talk about intelligence around modus operandi. So we're seeing more frauds in this particular area or more people using this particular approach to, to fraud uh, or to commit fraud. Um, and that's grown like, quite considerably. So the data we hold today um, of our members in that network probably are sharing up to 1.8, 1.9 million records of known fraud uh, or behavior, which is known to be fraudulent. Mm-hmm. Um, and we add in other data sets from other areas. So that kind of tops it up to about 5 million records that we hold. Right, um, okay, and, the, and the records only hold for about for six years. Most of them are only held mm-hmm. for six years. Some are, are held um, for less time. But we're seeing things like identity theft and identity fraud still being the biggest fraud. Probably about 54% of our total database is related to identity theft okay. and identity fraud. Um, we work to prevent the victims of those fraud by actually registering the uh, the victims themselves so that if anybody in the community uh, is matched against that victim, they know that that person has previously been impersonated, so therefore they can kind of treat that application in more detail okay, and so check it, goes it out. Okay, so two ways. So, so you look at basically victim data as much as you look at uh, maybe... You know, well, when it comes to identity fraud specifically, yes, because we don't know who committed the impersonation, but mm-hmm. we don't know who... We do know who was impersonated. Yeah. So that's all we can do. But okay. more importantly, it does act 
as a as a protection then for that individual who mm-hmm. uh, often when you have a fake identity or when you know you've obtained a genuine identity document, let's say, for example, mm-hmm. and you might use that to apply for a number of different services, you'll do that very, very quickly over a period of time. Um, in order to get as much money or as much as access to much services or products as you possibly can and hope you'll get away with it. That's really what the, the fraudster is thinking. Um, so fundamentally, what we see is impersonations will happen over a period of time and therefore we'll, we'll kind of want to stop that by registering the victim. What would you say it's like um, uh, the busiest time of fraudsters? Is it really like kind of Christmas time or is it just all year long <laughs> the whole time? It's constant. In fact, actually, even the people who commit fraud have a holiday. So, yeah, okay. it, it actually it matches the whole. If you look at any organization's onboarding of customers, it's almost exactly matches the kind of mm-hmm. the, the periodic aspects. You cannot say there's at one period of time, um, for example, Christmas, you'll have more fraud. You won't. You might see more fraud in certain areas. So, for example, in retail or online shopping, you'll see a spike, um, but you won't necessarily see that at, at different times in the summer. Say, okay. And what's the? Uh, I would say the uh, because you obviously you know been going now a long time. I mean, it's it's um, twenty two years now. My thirty one right. years. 31 years. Yeah, yeah, so there you go, 31 years, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, 31 years, of course. Um, so essentially, I mean, what, so, I mean, you've been obviously with Cyphers now for um, for how many years? Four years. Uh, for four years. So, I mean, um, in your time in the four years, what's the kind of trends that you have seen where maybe, you know, fraudsters are trying different things? I mean, what are the kind of trends right now that that, that you would say you see um, a lot more than you would have seen four years ago, an example? I, I think it's probably easier to say that what we've seen Seen, uh, is a change in the market. So if you just think about generally how commerce happens, mm-hmm. we as customers now expect to be able to buy things, have access to things and do things really easily on our mobile phone. That means that organizations have to continuously make faster decisions about who do I give my products and services to. Mm-hmm. And that means that there's a a, uh, an increase in risk because you have to make that decision really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing a trend that means that organizations have to respond to that customer demand by um, and, and, and the competitive natures of their marketplaces by using artificial intelligence or machine learning to make decisions at the back end, digital onboarding, for example. Um, and somewhere down the line, you need to be able to integrate all the other risk management capabilities into that. Um, so I think what I've seen even in the four years that I've been working at CIFAS is a move now towards much more um, automated decisions or in some way of utilizing AI or machine learning to be able to and, and, and utilize the whole kind of world of big data because you have to take data from a whole load of different sources um, to be able to make very simple decisions really, really quickly. Okay. Um, and obviously, you're know, talking about, you know, machine learning and, and, and AI and obviously the, uh, let's say, I guess the beginning of ciphers were more around um, having certain databases on maybe even written down or maybe even... I, was in, uh, I think, yeah. fundam- I, do you know, it wasn't around that mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, the origins of CIFAS really were... F- seven organizations who got together with the uh, Metropolitan Police and asked why, you know, the question, why aren't you arresting all these people that are committing fraud against us? Mm -hmm. And they were fundamentally at that time retail finance organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, And the police officer at that particular meeting um, basically said, well, why aren't you helping each other? Because when are you going to realize that fraud is not 
a competitive issue. Mm-hmm. You're sending your bad customer to the next guy and he's sending his bad customer back to you. Yeah. So actually, if you collaborated um, and shared this information, you could work out how to stop it. Um, and that's how that's the premise of CIFAS, really. So those seven organizations started CIFAS, um, consulted with the ICO. You know, it was done, fine, I think, at the, in the in the late 80s, it was done by fax. Mm-hmm. Um, the information was held uh, with the credit rating agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, obviously, the data has, has grown. It's, we have our data is held in Microsoft Azure. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we hold that in the UK um, data centers. But fundamentally now, a lot of organizations are connecting into us via API so that they can call down the data immediately. They can ingest that data. They can file da- data back to us and pass it back to us. But we always have to make sure that they're compliant with our uh, handbook and the guidelines we give those um, members to make sure that data is the highest level of quality so that other members can act on it. And uh, what's the, let's say, um, is it exclusively um, companies from financial services that are using your services or, or, or how no, broad is No, not at all. In uh, fact, actually, we cover... has been used. Yeah, sorry, I'm interrupting you there. No, we, uh, we cover probably about 14 sectors, I think, now. Okay. Um, we've got... A number of local authorities who came on last year, so even local government uh, organisations mm-hmm. who see fraud around tenancy fraud or even insurance claims, and a lot of different areas in, in, in the way a local authority works. You know, we're working with them at the moment to build the use cases, and they're mm-hmm. seeing matches and they're seeing uh, the fraud mm-hmm. that's happening where, um, and they can, uh, and we're, we're helping them trying to prevent it rather than just simply investigate it. Um, but we have. You know, organizations in all the mobile phone companies, for example, in insurance. Um, we have charities that mm-hmm. are members and we have public sector. So we have the Welsh government, we have the student um, loans company and the same student um, awards company in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Welsh government is a member. You know, so it's actually the, 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 the breadth of membership is really wide. And actually that's because fraud is a very uh, you know, broad crime. So yeah, I mean, you know, essentially because in the in the in a podcast previously in the previous episodes we've been talking every time about um, why, an example, gaming operators not working together, and every, every time it comes up, yeah, collaboration is impossible. But I mean, as you can see, it, a collaboration works for f- over thirty years now, and it helps the businesses to to essentially you know, do it efficiently. Because yeah. I mean, as you said, um, why should you send a bad customer somewhere there, and then he might have a different idea and come back to you and and yeah. try it again? It's just um, essentially a waste of money in the end of the day if you if you don't if you don't actively um, you know fight those frauds together rather than everyone on their own. Correct. I mean, there's two things here. Um, first of all, you know, the police are absolutely overstretched and you know i kind of say my presentations i say fraud is the crime of the 21st century mm-hmm. you know half of all crime in the uk is a fraud um or a cyber crime so so in effect you know the police cannot do everything they cannot be everywhere and they cannot they don't have the resources or the capability to to investigate every single uh potential crime that's committed and i mean just to back it up so um in the uk the overall uk fraud losses on um on card uh um, on card fraud so um in in 2000 it was um 3.5 million pounds on 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 uh, simply just card frauds last year was 7.3 billion pounds so 
and as you say, you know, how is the police just on their own? Uh, they just won't be able to cope with it. Otherwise, we'll end up with two million, you know, police officers who are just focusing on uh, on on uh, on frauds, right? So, so uh, and obviously needs to be, um, you know, as you were saying, to to obviously you know get together. So so I guess it's just you know again going into that, uh, you know, all working together, you know, sharing the you know bad data of bad people. So 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 to obviously make their lives easier, I guess, right? Well, there's there's a couple of things. So. I'll, fi I'll finish what I was going to say. So effectively, if you think about it, the police can't investigate every single thought. So, so sharing this information is is important, but it's also important to make sure you're not treating innocent parties badly. In other words, that you're utilizing this this information in the right way. Mm. So the other kind of difficulty, or people believe the difficulties, is is around data protection. Mm -hmm. um, some organizations, whenever you say, oh, it's about data protection, they run a mile. You know, anything to do with personal data or storing personal data, mm -hmm. um, they just think it's just too difficult to do. Yeah. Um, and, and we've been for 30 years and 30, you know, 31 years been, been fixing that problem. So we know how to do it. And we constantly ensure that everything we do is way above the line in terms of data protection, way above the line in terms of security mm -hmm. and ensuring that ultimately we're doing the right thing and not penalizing anybody that shouldn't be there. Um, so the data is really indicative of behavior. Um, this is information that's shared in our, in our network. And ultimately, people can utilize that data as they see fit. Um, it doesn't mean that they have to, that these people have to be turned down or rejected. It just means that you know you can utilize utilize that data for your decisions. Um, interesting, you mentioned the gaming sector, and I think um, the gaming industries have a real challenge on their hands, and they've had a challenge for some time. Um, and that's fundamentally about how. Um, People will utilize um, or take utilize gaming companies as an output for the the, cri the criminal activity and criminal funds that they've received. Mm -hmm. So, if you have fixed odds gambling and you know you're going to get a sixty percent return, mm -hmm. it's it's fencing money in a very easy way. Of course. Um, and the gaming companies are doing all they can to not allow this kind of these funds to be washed onto their onto their platforms. But it's very very difficult to spot that. Um, we are working very closely with a number of gaming companies right now because we've found that when we've done some more data analysis with them, that our data can be used to spot that kind of activity. It certainly can be used around identity fraud and specifically where uh, younger younger gamblers or younger gamers may be having their identity used um, on platforms, which is kind of interesting. I might come back to that in a moment. Um, but thirdly around, um, you know, we have a, a fraud type called application fraud where people have applied for products and services and materially misrepresented themselves on the application. Course, <clears throat> that invariably is around trying to hide adverse history or adverse yeah. credit history mm -hmm. so in other words this person may have a debt issue so we're looking at helping the gaming organizations utilize that data to determine whether or not this is not fraud necessarily um but ultimately you may be able to from a um, responsible gaming perspective um limit that person's gaming capability yeah, because sure. they have a debt yeah. problem, mm -hmm. basically wow wow i mean if, if obviously you know there's a huge drive obviously in the in the gaming industry currently in terms of uh, you know affordability and and again i mean if, if if there's something how you can spot someone misrepresenting themselves because they might have a really bad you know credit score like you know ten thousands in in debt or really can't afford to do it yeah. then, then obviously it makes absolute sense to to do that going forward and uh, it's obviously yeah. good to see that 
you know those those operators you know, are coming to you and um, and essentially yeah we're, trying we're in to discussion with yeah we're in discussion with with them um, and you know Gamshield which is an organisation of, of gaming organisations that that, sh that kind of talk regularly mm -hmm. about that kind of stuff and their issues are you know they have their own issues every sector has their own specific issues because mm -hmm. of their own uh, yeah. what they do um, so within our network also we don't just share data but we share intelligence and mm -hmm. we run. Uh, sector working parties, so business sector working parties, where effectively we get groups of people coming together um, around the room and, and around the table about talking about what's been happening, what the trends are, and networking really, you yeah. know, kind of sharing that information at first hand level. Okay, no, I'm, I mean, that's right. so, so um, I mean, how often do you do those uh, networking events? I think um, they're, they're, the, yeah. they're pretty, depends on the sector, but pretty okay. much quarterly. Um, but what's also supporting that is our portal, which we launched, launched yeah. last year. So, again, on that portal, um, people are either, either able to go into their sector um sharing intelligence uh forum ah okay so there's a forum it's oh, a forum oh, yeah okay. so basically people can kind of discuss and post things and share that kind of thing real time um or they can look broadly so they might look at you know what's happening with identity fraud for example or what's happening in other sectors which might be aligned to them so gaming would really want to know what's happening with mobile phone uh fraud mm -hmm. and you know, insurance wants to know what's happening with mobile phone fraud and from yeah. you know all that kind of stuff so yeah there's a real interconnectivity through the networking community um, so do you think we have a real chance uh, in the UK to be at some time, I mean, obviously it's a fantasy world, let's put it this way, but um, um, do you think at some point we'll be able to share fraudulent data between all of the sectors, like be it an example, as you said, you know, telcos, FS? Well, um, we can now. I mean, gaming, we can now. The yeah. only thing that's stopping it is people not coming to, to talk to SciFest or us not being able to reach out to them. I mean, mm. we are... We're a growing organization. Mm. We're, there are 70, I think 75, I think it's, it creeps up all the time at the yeah. moment because we're growing quite quite mm. considerably. Um, when I joined, I think we were 40 people. We're now 70. So in that in that period of time, um, we've increased. And I mean, for not-for-profit organizations, obviously very, a very respectable growth. Uh, it's, you know, if you can add for Well, it's indicative people. of the, the fact that there's more fraud. Yeah, <laughs> Unfortunately, you yeah, know, yeah. It's, it's the course, fact that we're yeah, growing yeah. is a, is, yeah, a, is, is, a, is a fact that fraud is growing. Um, but, but with that growth, obviously, you know, we, we, we've, developed a capability to, to to kind of keep up with all the things that are mm. changing so for example the portal was an important thing to, yeah. to bring on board um we've also launched a capability where people can so so effectively when someone files a fraud to us mm -hmm. uh, they have to determine uh, does it fit with the kind of tech kind of case types that we have they also have to determine that they've got the right levels of evidence and it meets the standard of proof. Mm -hmm. And then fundamentally, when they uh, upload that that file case that case to us, um, they can, if they have something, they they can load an identity document that may well be uh, aligned to that particular case. Mm -hmm. So it could have been a fake passport that's been used, mm -hmm. or it could be uh, a document like a driver's license, say for example, yeah, of course. or anything with a face on it. We can now match. Against so if someone uploaded a, uh, a, a an identity document face onto our database to search, we would then return a potential match to say that this person looks like the same person mm -hmm. over here. Yeah. Now we set a very 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 high kind of risk uh, band on this, okay. so we only return matches that are ninety percent um, likely. Okay, and it's up to the individual then at the back end to say you know does that does that actually mm -hmm. does they are these two people exactly the same. But just to give you a bit of feedback, one large bank started to use it and found over 138 accounts set up by the same individual 
all with different identity information wow, on every okay. single account. So, you know, just being able to use that biometric now is another kind of good armory in our in our kind of arsenal. So one person was able to open 138 accounts. 138 wow. different bank That's, accounts, uh, yeah. I mean, when obviously when we talk about you know anti money laundering and stuff like that, it's obviously, but but I mean again, it's it's you know giving companies the means how to spot it, right? Because I mean, in the after day, um, I think you know we're gonna you know probably go in a time where everyone's gonna have like a, I would say you know EID like a electronic identity that is a kind of I don't know how we verify it. I don't know how we will be able to validate it, but obviously that I guess that would be the step in the right direction i would say if, if you kind of yeah. build like an e-passport almost i don't know it's really interesting I, uh, you know there isn't you know if, as far as i'm concerned and this is kind of a personal opinion i guess you know the, the the government failed quite recently in their um they were talking about trying to regulate use of the internet specifically when it came to pornography sites mm -hmm. and therefore you know age you know age verification yeah. was the thing so um and also when you think about people that are um, trolling, uh, trolling other people, or online bullying, or people yeah. that are mm. putting up fake news on the internet. There's no way of governing this unless you make sure that anybody who had access had to use a digital ID. That therefore anything they did mm. could go back to that individual. That, I think that would wipe out all the stuff that we're worried about in terms of fake news and things like that. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, in times now with the with the coronavirus, and if if anything is, let's say, virus. Well, excuse the pun, but if anything is viral, uh, like like any news or whatever, then you obviously, um, obviously every time there is an election, there's something going on with Facebook. Why mm. were the ads allowed? Um, why did you allow these people to do these ads, um, etc.? So, um, and I mean, I share you know probably say my opinion with you. I think uh, you know especially like um, you know nowadays with a lot of people you know struggling with mental health problems. Um, but I think it's a lot of connected with the you know virtual world, with you know people being bullied uh, on social media, yeah. people being you know put down or whatever, or seeing maybe opinions they you know they shouldn't read because it's just you know someone who got famous by yeah. saying something on the internet, and all of a sudden everyone follows that yeah. ideal. So you know we we go back in very dark times to to obviously you know see what happens if 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 you just follow someone's ideal. Yeah, uh, and 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 it's just so. Uh, I mean, um, you know, as you said, I mean, how would we be able to stop? I mean, would we have to, uh, you know, really create, let's say, like a, uh, you know, f uh, well, I mean, we obviously have a fraud database with Cyphers, um, um, but then how how would the, let's say, digital identity look? I mean, what would we have to do? Would it have to be something connected to, um, you know, really like a government check of people, like, you know, really identifying them and providing a certain number or, or what do you think would work? There are, there are a number of countries in Europe that have got a type of digital identity. Um, and I think in the UK, we, some years ago, I think it was the Blair government, we stopped the identity card mm. process. Um, and, and there's a balance here between freedom, uh, and identifying bad actors or yeah. criminals. Um, so you have to kind of weigh up those two things, but, but fundamentally, I don't, I think we're getting to a point where because of things like use of the internet, because of things like the, the growth in fraud, you know, and, and the, because of, because identity theft and fraud and impersonation is a big driver for that, you know, that sits behind all this fraudulent activity. The anonymity of the internet, the anonymity of being able to impersonate someone, or the ease of being able to impersonate yeah. someone, I think it's going to lead to some 
at some stage with the government saying we need to create an identity or someone has to step in and say we have to create an, a digital identity. It may well be a, a third party organization that provides a solution, but it would have to be government that then dictates how that's used because mm-hmm. it has to be used. I mean, there was the, the, the government's verified product um, that they brought out and, and now is kind of, well, it's only one. Well, I think there's only one supplier now left at the back end of this. I think mm. everybody else has pulled out. was an attempt to try and do this. Mm. Um, but eventually we're going to get to a point where we need to need to have some sort of way of digitally identifying I am the person that mm. I am. Yeah, you know, of course. And, and so you can engage with me confidently. And then the, I guess the question around that will be, well, who has that data and what do they do with it? Exactly. You know, because yeah. if you if you hold it and you're a commercial organization, you're going to sell it to someone else so they can market to me. Whereas actually it's my data and I should be holding it and I should be responsible for it. Yeah, so shouldn't we put more responsibility to the people actually who are whose data it is? Like, shall we, you know, basically, I mean, the idea that I've had, let's say we would, uh, you know, create like an e-identity on the blockchain where everything is personalized for that person and this person decides what they want to share when they open an account. Yeah. But obviously you could make it, you know, via regulation, via laws, via um, however you want to spin this. Obviously, yeah. you would have to share this and this data if you want to this and this and this. And I think that would be quite a easy way and very realistic but way how, how we could basically go into the future. Yeah, the technology is there. It's the demand and the driver. I mean, yeah. there, there is an organization out there called Yoti as well that's mm-hmm. been around for some time that created this. I think there are two or three organizations very similar. Um, but it's it's the take up. You know, if mm-hmm. no one's using it, if don't, people don't want to engage with it, then, mm-hmm. you know, it falls down. It's either mandated by government to say you need to do it yeah. or it becomes such an easy thing that people use and the providers that we engage with like our tv provider or our mm. internet provider if they said you have to use this we probably all end up using it mm. so i think i don't think you know in the uk we're a long way off that sort of thing happening the question would then be criminals are still criminals people will still try to fake right, it. Yeah. People will tr- still find a way around the yeah. system. So how secure is it? How do we keep it secure? Yeah. What do we do? So you could argue and say that, you know, the device ID, all of our devices that we yeah. that we hold, whether it's a mobile phone or a, a laptop or a PC, yeah. has a digital footprint. So organizations like Ovation and Ovation and Threatmetrics yes, are able yeah, to mm-hmm. share that device mm-hmm. identity so that they can see where people are hiding and masking the device. They're using VPNs that will actually, um, or, or, or you can tell that this device is being used in a different country and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In some ways, it's, a, it's the kind of first step towards a digital identity in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, a device is a device. It's portable. It could be anywhere. You could give it to someone else. You can move it around. Um, and even that being in place now doesn't mean that we stop all fraud because it still gets through. Do you think something like uh, bank ID, which is obviously very uh, prominent or the only way to identify yourself in Sweden, really, um, do you think that would be quite the way forward for like the banks to 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 uh, hold your personal data? Because, I mean, in the end of the day, out of all organizations, I'd probably say that your bank with your current account, they probably know the most about you. They they know how much you maybe afford to gamble. They might know how much uh, of a loan you could have because, I mean, they have their the scorings anyway already. So in the end of the day, like, do we give them the, uh, you know, the torch to the, uh, to the uh, big banks and say, okay, um, you know, come up with something and we'll, we'll create something 
like similar maybe to Sweden with a bank ID because I think that that might be quite an idea of uh, of how you do the verification because it's quite obviously um, well I mean in Sweden it's obviously there's there's not that many people like here but it's it might be the way forward and then you have in Germany you have now introduced obviously the EID that your um, uh, that your um, personal ID and uh, that it has a chip and it has all the information on there and then you have to use um, two-factor authentication to to basically you know allow that data to go to the um, um, to go to the next um, um, to go to the company sorry that they're obviously trying to open an account with but it seems to me that it's a little bit fiddly because you need your own identifying number and uh, you get this number when you order um, a personal ID. But the problem is that when this came out, I believe in 2016 when I got mine, I got this number, but I don't know where it is. It's It's gone somewhere. So I would have to go again, apply for a new one, pay 80 euros, and then I would get my number and I would obviously have to keep it. So th- th- there's too many things out there that would... I think, well, first of all, first of all, I think, you know, <clears throat> if I've just told you the story that a bank has found 138 bank accounts mm. all set up by the same in, same yeah. person, but yeah. with all different identities, I don't think I would want a bank to be the person that's saying, that's <laughs> yeah, definitely, I'm the definitely yeah, yeah, there you person. Go, yeah. And it's not fair on the bank, actually. Yeah. You know, they're not there as an identity verification uh, yeah, sure. purposes. They're there to look after your money and, and make Correct. the payments for Absolutely, you. So. Yeah. You know, I, I find that there's a bit of a difficult thing. I know in Norway as well, they have a system where your identity number and mm-hmm. the last four or five digits are personalized. So like a pin code, you yeah. can change the last four mm-hmm. or five digits. Um, it, it's, it's human nature to lose things. It's human nature to lend it to someone or, oh, there's my number, you know, just punch, punch it in. You yeah, can get yeah. it. All those things are going to happen. And therefore, unfortunately, it's going to be abused. So I don't, I don't, I, I think it's, it's inevitable that we'll have some form of digital identity. Um, I think it's inevitable that criminals will still find a way around it and we'll still have an amount of fraud that comes off the back. Do you of it. think that digital identity will have a lot of um, a lot of functionality around biometrics? Because I guess that's the only way how you can spot if someone's impersonating someone. And but then obviously there's the you know a conversation about deep fakes and yeah. um, and and video streaming. So you basically change the you know stream of your camera to let it seem like a different person. But but I guess that would be probably the only way forward maybe to to make sure that's the the same person yeah and 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 the people that will be targeted are in that with the the kind of deep fake scenario are the people that are more easily spotted so Mm. people who have social media profiles for example or people that um so for example from an identity fraud perspective we know that um People are very cleverly looking at companies' house, looking at the accounts that have been signed off by the directors and looking at the director's signature on that company document and therefore utilising that and the identity. Yeah, it was a huge story in the Times, I think, like some weeks ago. Yeah, I think the, about that, so, yeah. so, so people are always looking at ways around the system. Yeah. Um, I did I did see a great presentation, funnily enough, in Sweden by the head of the fraud uh, police team there. Okay. Uh, and he showed a really good slide set. And the first slide was um, when chip and pin came out, he said, this is what a Cambridge professor used to break the chip and pin. And it was kind of like a room with two or three PCs and all sorts of things all wired up. Yeah. And he said, and this is what two Romanian criminals did. And it was basically a credit card with a, a razor blade and a piece of sellotape. And that's, that's, they'd worked out how to, how to cut it off and put it on a different card. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, we're not, 
we're not criminally, you know, 99% of us plus are not criminally minded. Mm -hmm. So we don't think about all the, the, the false areas or all the kind of areas where we can come in at the back door. Mm -hmm. So whatever we build, the people will all, you know, the criminals will always try and find a way around it. Um, and, and, and I mean, going forward now with, um, you know, with Cyphers, do you have, uh, let's say, any plans to uh, even, you know, sophisticate your, your software even more? Um, is there anything that, um, that you're going to, let's say, maybe, you know, promote? Um, um, do you, that kind of evolves the whole, you know, product as it is? Well, we're constantly listening to what our members want because mm -hmm. we're a member-driven organization. So, um, and, and we receive feedback from them you know, constantly around different modus operandi and different things they mm -hmm. need. Um, we're looking at things like disputed transactions. So where people continuously do chargebacks, say, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's probably some work to be done around... Um, the world in which we live now, you're, you know, most of us get cardboard boxes and, and, and envelopes turning up on our doorstep because we yeah. buy things online. Yeah. So the whole distribution network um, has lots of issues with it where people uh, take or don't deliver or is delivered and mm -hmm. say it's not delivered. So there's a whole world, I think, around in that back end uh, that we need to kind of move into that we're, we're not in. And I would really make the plea that says, you know, actually, um, be part of the solution by sharing the data. You know, collaboration is absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. um, if 525 organizations have worked out that it works for them, it's the people outside that network that actually we'd like to attract in. Mm -hmm. um, and we can, you know, we can engage with pretty much any organization really to talk about fraud yeah. prevention. If we can't fix it now, we'll try and find a way of accommodating it down mm -hmm. the line. But there are sectors, I think specifically, we haven't probably engaged enough with. Um, we're very keen on getting gaming companies to come into membership and there are you know, many of them already we're talking to. Um, but just to give you a, a viewpoint, we last year brought on a train operating company looking at delay repay fraud. Okay. And we know that delay repay, um, the, the delay repay process in the UK gets hit by fraudsters left, right, and centre. Mm. Uh, so we'd like to try and help the train companies save money okay. so that it goes to our ability to travel rather mm. than someone else's uh, pocket. Um, the National Health, uh, you know, service, you know, the NHS, we know suffers from fraud. They have um, fraud investigators at the at the NHS, but actually, we hold data that would be very useful for them, and yeah. their data mm -hmm. would be useful for others. We had the DWP and the HMRC sharing data under a, a counter uh, under a data alliance as a pilot. Um, they've now gone away to think about whether or not they want to continue that pilot. I would be saying to them, you know, there was great value in that for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and so my call would be to the government, actually, and government departments to enable greater uh, data sharing from government and private sector. I guess, um, and we always said it. It's it's like you know, kind of dependent that there's someone in government who who kind of I'd I'd say gets what data sharing and what it means because you then have obviously a lot of people just saying, oh yeah, but it's just you know sharing data and it's so irresponsible to share all that data between companies. But well, actually, is it though? Like we obviously you know seeing. I mean, I mean just uh, obviously looking. I mean the losses you prevented increase in 18 years by 600. percent I mean it obviously means something that you're doing something right. And, well, it's uh, the, you know from a commercial perspective, you know 1.4, 1.5 billion pounds that we've saved. They're, they're, and by the way, those numbers are our members' numbers. They're mm. not what we have reported. That's yeah, what no, they told of us. Course, yeah, yeah. 
that's great commercially, but think about the thousands of individuals that we've protected who are innocent parties, mm -hmm. you know, that don't even know that actually um, we're doing that for them. Mm. Um, and so when we look, when we talk to our members, specifically in, in, in the banking sector now, mm -hmm. around uh, push payment fraud and scams where people are, uh, you know, talked into paying things they shouldn't pay. Mm -hmm. um, and you will see yourself phishing emails that you get on your drug, every you know, day. your TV yeah. license every done, day, every hour, all that probably, kind of stuff yeah. that people are, you know, we, we also look at that aspect from a, from a, you know, from a consumer perspective and, and mm -hmm. make sure we can try and protect as many people as we can. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, I mean, that's very interesting. I mean, I mean, from my side, I could, uh, I could only recommend to any, anyway to any gaming you know operators there are any uh, i guess mobility will be will be quite a viable case in the future for you with all the car sharing and all the yeah. uh you know ubers allers of the world um you know it's only obviously going to get more and the more drivers you get obviously the higher the fraud chances i guess for yeah any, yeah you know people trying to make the money I, my personal opinion is it's for me it's um the digital economy the people like um eBay, Amazon, mm. um, these organizations, you know, this, this, this kind of peer to peer platforms where it's, um, you know, no one's responsible in the middle because actually, um, I, I mean, eBay are the largest now eBay motors, I think mm. are the largest seller of secondhand cars in the UK. Yeah. Right. Um, and there is lots of fraud around that. And eBay will turn around and say, well, we're just putting one person in touch with the other person. We have no responsibility. Yeah. But really, you could, we could work out a way of helping to protect and stop fraudsters from using that platform. Mm -hmm. um, PayPal is another one. Um, and, you know, we'd love to talk to those organizations about integrating and sharing data around there. I mean... Because we had a we had a conversation last time about uh, the role of uh, Apple and Google in this. Because I mean, as you know, um, by now probably everyone has some sort of Apple or Google Pay on their phone or or, or whatever it's called, Samsung Pay. Yeah. Um, do you think those companies will have a greater role when it comes to um, f f fraud detection, um, identity verification going forward? Well, hmm, that's a really good point, actually. I mean. I got I got rid of my Apple uh, iPhone. I'm now an Android user now, yeah. which is like kind of you know people. My friends all say you, know, you can't do that, <laughs> but across that to me. Um, but I got fed up with asking being asked for my Apple ID, basically. You know, so so in some ways, if Apple turned around and said, right, we're now launching a digital ID. Mm. If you want to use your Apple iPhone, you do this. It's a digital identity. Well, I mean, it's it NFC enabled now. So yeah, exactly. You know, it yeah. would happen. You know, um, if Google did it, it you know, to, to integrate with Google, it would happen. So I think those are, apart from a government dictating it to us, those those two organizations are probably the, or Microsoft maybe, you know, yeah, of course, come yeah. in uh, and, and kind of you know, create something mm. that people would then use because it's how we integrate with the world now is yeah. through our through our devices really well i mean some i mean some might say that you know google and facebook have more power than governments nowadays but uh, well it has to obviously be seen and i mean in terms of that i mean it's a very obviously very hot topic because uh, i mean apple started you know to soft launch like around some parts of the world basically where you can just identify yourself via the newly um, opened uh, nfc right. uh, which i don't know why it took them so long but um um, um obviously we're there now but if you think about it it's again it's your own identity. You own it. All the data coming in from, you know, banks. Uh, you have an Apple ID where you obviously did purchases from. Your Apple ID is probably connected to your Apple Watch, so they know where you've been walking around to location services. So actually, 
if you logically think about it, it's it's probably one of the safest ways. I mean, uh, you know, knowing that you have to use your biometrics to unlock your phone, an example. So, um, I mean, again, obviously, if that technology is 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 the best, is again a different conversation. Um, but, but I think obviously, you know, for the future, it might be you know something that will will happen, or another company all, all of a sudden will come up with an idea, yeah. and the government will say, let's do it this way. Um, yeah, I mean. I think you know it's inevitable, and 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 it's also inevitable that people will will misuse it, and people mm. will find other ways around it. It's it's kind of that's the way it is. I mean, it's interesting also that the the different types of biometrics that can be utilised. You know, face video, obviously mm. fingerprint, um, uh, voice. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think in the future we'll be more around um, voices, devices, um, and faces if you like, more than mm -hmm. it is around now, which is kind of fundamentally data and mm -hmm. name and address and date of birth and kind of stuff like that. Um, and, you know, it's inevitable also that we we will also rail against having our, our identities stored in places that we don't want to have them stored, you know. So I, I think there's a balance. So, um, I mean, in terms of then, um, uh, let's say, because we're, we've just been talking about, it, I mean, what would, let's say, be your top three prediction that are going to happen in the identity wow. fraud space in the next, I don't know, 12, 18 months? Wow. Like from a personal You never opinion. tell me you're going to ask me that before. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll put you on the spot here. You, you know, have so put me on the spot. <laughs> oh, in the next, in the next, eight, oh, gosh. Um... I think more and more organizations will look to adopt some sort of uh, biometric. I think more and more organizations will, will do that, specifically as they um, digitize their onboarding. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems to me that if, you, if you're going to put digital onboarding into, or if you're going to do any kind of internet-based connectivity with your customers where you want to be able to identify them, you know, you're only a small step away from having sort of biometric capability. Yeah, of so that's, I think that's that's probably number one. Um, I, I, I guess what I would like to see, it's probably more than a prediction, what I'd like to see is probably more cross-border capability of identif identifying people. Mm -hmm. Um, so even within the EU, we haven't really, you know, we've all interpreted GDPR in our own country's kind of jurisdictions. Um, France and Germany, we know are incredibly tight on their data protection laws yeah. um, and I think people look at the UK as being a little bit more lax and I think that's not necessarily the case um, but it seems I mean, more in an international world it seems it seems not beyond the possibility of being able to kind of have an international capability of sharing data mm -hmm. uh, or, or an international capability of being able to spot um, identity theft and identity identity activity. Well, I mean, surely Europol and Interpol could help with that, and and, and maybe a certain way uh, in in order to to you know fill those databases with the you know frauds that they have. I mean, on on a global scale, we already have you know PEPs and sanctions lists who are you know being updated globally, and you obviously you know, can obviously access them and see mm. um, and see what happens. So, so I'm sure some sort of fraud database would be possible if you give it to the right people, though. <laughs> well, it, it, again, it's it's legis it's legisl it's about governments. So, mm. for example, in Sweden, which is a good one, but Ireland and and Holland, um, those particular countries, it's um, against the law to share data. On, on this kind of activity, on fraudulent activity, with anyone but the police. So until those governments 
change the law, then that data sharing yeah. isn't uh, isn't able. They're not able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so that I think is part of the problem is that while we've got guidance around data protection, which is mm -hmm. good, and you know GDPR did lots of really good things, um, and it certainly put the cat amongst the pigeons when it comes to Facebook and, and people like that. Um, what it hasn't done is it hasn't really necessarily fixed the issue around data and collaboration yeah. across border. Uh, again, uh, regulation stopping innovation in a way. Um, or legislation stopping. Yeah, yeah, legislation, sorry. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, what... Uh, what can I say to 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 obviously just just obviously finish up? I mean, what I can definitely what I can definitely recommend to to any organization out there: go on cyphers.org.uk, um, become a member, um, work with cyphers to um, you know make the UK a safer um, uh, you know commercial online space um, or any online space. I would say you know to 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 you know as you heard uh, you know protect people. Um, you know, protect yourself against fraud, uh, obviously, because obviously, if you have too much fraud uh, commercially, it's not going to be viable. Um, um, yeah, forever, I would say. And um, yeah, just just work with, uh, you know, organizations like Fi like Cyphers. I mean, obviously, Cyphers is the organization for fraud database in the UK um, that I can definitely recommend. I mean, obviously, from our side, I mean, obviously, our company is kind of, you know, getting involved in in with Cyphers. Uh, it obviously, you know, provide the same support to our customers. But I mean, overall, you know, the more members there are, the better the data will be and the safer everyone will be in the UK. So, um, I mean, on that note, uh, just, you know, Lee, thanks very much for coming on. Absolute uh, pleasure. It was, uh, was, uh, was a pleasure to have you here and, and uh, you know, many, many things that I learned today as well, <laughs> uh, um, obviously from, from um, you know, from yourself and how you see it. So, um, you know, thanks very much for listening. Um, please subscribe and please leave a like, a comment, um, whatever you like, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ID Podcast, powered by ID Now. If you like today's content, please make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and also on YouTube. So for now, thank you and goodbye.